Welcome to the Education Innovators Podcast. I'm Eric Byron, and it's an honor to host this show where we get to hear from talented educators who are willing to share their stories of the incredible things they are doing in learning environments all over the world. Traditional learning is they force you to go somewhere when they want you to. So your boss tells you, okay, now is the training time and you do all these uh, two days or even eight hours. But now with these new technologies, just-in-time learning is like Uber. Like you call it when you need it, only for the distance you want to go. <laughs> that was Ivy She of LearnMonade. Just-in-time learning is like Uber. I love that. Ivy She is an expert in instructional design, and we had a great discussion about how she became such an expert. And then we dived deep into a practical discussion of things companies can do to innovate and improve the outcomes from learning and development programs and initiatives. This is part one of our discussion. Welcome to the Education Innovators Podcast. I'm Eric Byron. I am joined today with Ivy She, who is an instructional designer and e-learning expert, championing, I can never say that, championing digital learning transformation and the integration of AI in work and learning environments. She holds a master's degree in IT and education, and she taught e-learning strategies and management at the University of Hong Kong. She currently hosts the EdTech Hong Kong community, which is where we met, and spearheads the AI experience and education conferences. She's also the founder of LearnMonade, an e-learning service provider that serves international corporations, including Lian Fung, which is a Hong Kong-based supply chain and logistics company with over 10 billion USD annual revenue, and The Gap, clothing and accessories retailer. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Ivy. I'm really interested in in talking with you because uh, you really are an expert in instructional design. And it fascinates me because I'm like the absolute opposite in my kind of life work. I've been all over the map. You know, I joke around, right? I'm, I'm in my 60s now and I say, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. <laughs> but you <laughs> seem to be kind of laser focused, right? You, you're... <laughs> You have two degrees, an undergraduate degree and a graduate degree that are both basically in instructional design, right? And technology, you know, and I, I look at your resume and every job basically, other than what you did for the university, you know, lecturer, every job has the title instructional design. So how does one achieve such focus? And what there must be more to you than that. So that's kind of the public view I see. You know, your instructional design, everything about you is instructional design focused. So if you're willing to share, <laughs> what else do you do? Yeah, so I guess not everybody knows what instructional design does. So I can give the audience a bit of background and as well as why I'm so deeply rooted in this path. And then a little, um, I can talk about uh, you know, all this exciting AI stuff we've been researching on and how to in, um, in, integrate that into learning and development. So part of the reason why I'm so focused might be because I am Chinese. So okay. <laughs> we always laser focus, super effective. And 
both of my parents are secondary school teachers. So I was always fascinated about, you know, how do I get the best learning outcome? How do I be most mm. efficient? And then when I went to the university, I studied a lot of learning science, you know, how to combat the forgetting curve. And then later on, actually nine years ago, I moved to Hong Kong and I learned in my master's degree, you know, all these fascinating tools that you can use easily and integrate that into teaching and learning. So all of these added together made me really realize there's so much power in using the technology, but at the same time, business people, they might not understand these tools or like, why would I use it? So they really need a translator in between these two worlds and do the matchmaking. So instructional designer really is a person who hold the hands of the trainers. So, you know, a lot of time people can't always train, especially during the pandemic face to face. So when it comes to an online environment, how do you make sure this learning is not a sleeping pill and put everybody to sleep? <laughs> Instead, they actually actively want to learn. So that's our job. And so we've been doing lots of programs that, for example, one is with a large retailer company and they have training over 18 countries. So we really help them to think, okay, what does each region need? And we need to translate that into different languages and even with the local policies. Mm -hmm. So all these things make me feel quite... Uh, interested that you know we're making an impact otherwise without e-learning it's impossible to train so many people in such a short time yeah. that's a long answer <laughs> okay no no that's good that was good that uh was helpful to kind of set the stage for why you do what you do um i love that yeah. you have a sense of purpose and you focused on something and become an expert in it this is important these days so the other thing you do, though, well, you didn't really give me any fun stuff. I, I was kind of hoping maybe you have some fun. Well, so like, um, like, like I'm a juggler, right? So I spent time in the circus and I juggle and I still juggle on a regular basis. Do you have some fun thing, sidelight, hobby, interest? What else do you do besides instructional design? Well, I do a lot of different things mainly to stay myself attractive in the dating market. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so from exercising to creative design, for example, I got on this trail running for 70 kilometers in Mongolia this summer. Wow. And um, also I did hiking for the Moon Trekker where you started from 8 p.m. all the way to the next day, 5 p.m. Uh, sorry, 5 a.m. And I, I so I hiked in the dark by myself for more than five hours. <laughs> All right. So that scares um, me. Yeah. And I, I see uh, way I too many news reports of people dying on trails in Hong Kong. And uh, <laughs> yes, hiking alone in the dark doesn't seem like the safest approach to getting exercise. But <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's a trail running race. So it's it's safe. And another thing I want to mention is I love traveling spontaneously. So in the last eight years, I have been to 44 countries by myself, a solo female traveler from Asia. So that's something right. I want to share. Yeah. 
All right. Good. Good. I do like to get some personal stories in uh, <laughs> on my guests too. We're all people, right? We've all we may be experts and we may be passionate about the work stuff, but it takes people and relationships to make the world go around. And so uh, thank you for sharing your personal interest as well. All right. Let's get back to talking about uh, ed tech and instructional design. Um, I'm curious about your uh, your help, your involvement in the EdTech Hong Kong organization. That, that's where we met, um, and you are an organizer. You you help organize some of the events and stuff. So how did you get involved, and what's the benefit to you in being in, in a community like that? Well, you know, Hong Kong is a financial hub, and everybody's talking about blockchain, cryptocurrency, and there is a market for EdTech, but is not so well known. So together we're thinking, how do we build this community? So then we advocate how to help teachers and companies to really embrace technologies. And running an ad tech company is a hard work. It doesn't have revenue right away and people need to believe in it and have hope. And there are lots of you know, excitement as well, rewards when you see students actually learn better. So I really want to have this community where we can discuss, you know, the new AI trends, what everybody have been doing. And we've, we've been working with Esperanza as well to, to co-host it, some of the events. Mm-hmm. So really, I think, you know, every industry got to tell their stories. And when you tell stories, people can get inspired. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, thank you. And I, I agree. And I thank you for your work with the organization. I've more recently taken a more active role than uh, just kind of attending events. Uh, I'm trying to help as well. And it is rewarding to see the ed tech community coming together and supporting each other. So thank you for bringing in people like me and getting us involved. <laughs> but you'll be surprised what kind of people are involved in ed tech and how buzzed people are when they talk about what they've been doing. And I recently went to this AWS AI conference and you can see these ad tech startups, they built up. So there's one called Techie AI. So they built up this whole chatbot interface and you can actually digest information from the database. So now it's instead of passive learning, everybody can just do active learning, ask a question and the bot will only answer you with the answers from the database. So it's like a safe environment. Plus it can actually also point you to the exact timestamp that you need to watch in the video. So I thought all these new technologies are really good and you got to know more of more of these things happening when you join these ed tech gathering. Good, I absolutely agree with that. All right, I've got a question here. So I was looking at your profile and I noticed that um, you worked for, uh, I believe it's pronounced Motif, right? It's a, um, an e-learning platform for apparel and fashion professionals. So you worked there for a bit over three years, I guess, but you launched LearnMonade while you were still there. So how did that come about? You started an ed tech startup, you founded a startup while you were still working at Motif. What what was going on there? How did that come about? Yeah, so 
I'm an independent consultant, but a lot of time I dedicated my time to work with them on this apparel knowledge hub. And the story is more interesting than what you can see from the resume. <laughs> I so, figure that's why I asked the question. <laughs> uh, we produce lots of really high quality courses and companies like Lululemon, even Nike, like employees, they came to our platform and bought these courses on their own to actually continue learning. But what we realized is there is a high cost in production there's a long cycle to produce things and maintain content. Mm. And uh, so during the pandemic, it was really hard for this um, platform to survive because training is the first thing to let go when retailers are going down. Mm. Um, so if I had say if AI applications shows up, it ha- if it has shown up, two years earlier, it would be a totally different story because I can give you like some examples. Let's say we spend 1 million on a course and a half a million is used on film, filming, on video production. Hmm. So the Asper's time is very expensive. You've got to hire a professional studio and the post editing. And all of these together, it could be a few months, really. And we got to film instructors in New York and do editing back in Hong Kong. It was really pricey. But now with this AI technology, like Synthesia, you have this AI virtual presenters. They look so real. And you have all these built-in templates for animated key points. So really can have the production by half of the cost. It can speed up, you know, really... I can cut down 50% of time. Mm -hmm. All of these tools are really (laughs) eye-opening. And we're like, oh, we hope these tools will be, you know, available much earlier to us. (laughs) Yeah, well, we have to take advantage of what we've got now. But so you mentioned um, Synthesia. So I actually played with that. So I I saw the link on your your website and I, you know, I went and I said, oh, let me test this out. Maybe it's something I can use because, you know, I don't, necessarily want to be on camera myself because I'm old and ugly. And so um, I thought, well, maybe I can replace myself with an avatar and, you know, just give it this, the audio and let it go. Right. So I, I did a test and um, the, the free test, I, I signed up for it. The only problem I had with it was that it was, um, there was no expression, right? <laughs> so I'm a pretty animated guy. I, you know, I get excited at times. And so I intentionally gave it a script that had, a. I was hoping, a little bit of energy in it. And I got completely deadpan, monotone. It just read it um, completely flat. And so for me, I thought, all right, well, I can't really go with that. That wouldn't represent me um, without, you know, a little bit of animation and uh, excitement <laughs> in my voice. So how do you get around that? Have you found any other tool that is starting to be able to do that to well <laughs> you brought up a really good point the ai technology is advancing very fast but so far we've done whole research over the summer we haven't found an ai tool that can bring in these humor and these uh you know these emotions in so they're most likely like a well presented fair and square instructor <laughs> and in that way it will be a while 
before you know AI virtual presenter can replace us. Yeah. So one of the the texts that interested me is um, there is some, and I guess it's either Korean or Japanese. Um, they call them VTubers, and it's a it's an actual like animated avatar that replaces you in the video. So you actually videotape you and it maps it to your face. So it replaces you with the avatar, but it's actually your gestures, your expressions. It's just mapped to the avatar. Um, and it's done yeah. actually during filming. So um, basically as you film, it's replacing you kind of frame by frame with this, uh, with this avatar. <laughs> the problem I had with it was, you know, all of the avatars you could create all look like Japanese women, right? So <laughs> even if you picked a man, he ends up looking like a Japanese woman because they're so effeminate in the way they do the anime there. And so I went looking for somebody who could help me kind of use their tech, but actually let me create an avatar that looks more like me, older white male, right? Now with a beard. <laughs> And I couldn't find any solution for it. I couldn't find anybody who could do it um, unless it was, you know, like really expensive, have to go pay somebody to um, go and, and create a new system to do it. I couldn't get anybody who could just say, oh, yeah, I can reskin an avatar um, and it'll just animate using, you know, their tools. Have you mm -hmm. found anything like that? Have you come across it? So I actually brought up a really good interesting facts is the AI tools, they were, they all have their own biases based on the database they were trained for. So you have this Japanese or Korean company, and then they look more Asian. And then on mid journey, when I tried to generate an Asian person, it will still give me a picture of a woman who looks like a white woman. Yep. And, or like we can go for like, at tech conferences in Asia and most of the images, even in the stock photo library, you can find are like Eurasians about European people, right? Yeah. So I felt this problem of having, how can you animate it in a way that this character looks like you instead of from the preset database, this problem is leading to a new startup idea. So maybe Eric, you think about that as your next adventure. <laughs> Yes, no, um, there, there's lots of work to be done. I, I am impressed, though, with how quickly things are advancing, right? I started yeah. looking for that you know, VTuber solution when I was doing my other podcast because um, it was like double jeopardy there. Not only did you have me as an old, ugly white man, um, but my co-host was another old, ugly white man. And it was like, oh, we don't <laughs> want to be on video here. Or nobody's going to want to watch this, right? Two old white <laughs> farts talking to each other. So- Anyway, we uh, we were looking for a solution and we never found it. Um, and hence, we actually only did audio. We never did video. Um, I'm hoping soon with this podcast to break out of the audio only and, and get to video. So we'll see yeah. soon. I got to get better video editing tools, though. Um, I don't have the tools to do that yet. So that's something I got to I got to work on. Anyway, I want to get into some like really practical stuff here. So yeah. scenario, a client comes to you and they want to implement a new training program within their organization to solve a skill gap. We'll just call it a skill gap for now. Okay. What are some of the questions you're going to ask them? 
first interview? So they mentioned there is a skill gap. So, you know, the typical five W's questions, who have this problem? And to identify these uh, skill gap, first is the analysis, you know, what's their current level and where do they want to be? And then it comes to, you know, understand more of the learners. Are they new employees or are they managers or are they more senior? So the type of content and tones you need for them is different. So after this analysis, then it comes to, you know, do you want to have a newer solution? I want to bring up to this new point. You're learning in the past is more like chunky. Maybe they had a bad reputation is boring. Like you called it a sleeping pill earlier. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. You don't want to produce any more sleeping pills. Okay. Yeah. So I will ask that to the stakeholders. Do you want that? Or you want something new, exciting and bite-sized. So, you know, in the past, the companies used to invest a lot of time and money upfront and hope that static e-learning content will sit still and work for a long time. Now it's more about, you know, how do we leverage these AI tools so we can rapidly produce bite-sized learning content and then have somebody who can be designated to talk and stay in touch with the business side and keep on updating these contents so then that can stay relevant to these business interests. So having that, I think, in this rapid changing world is very important. And um, a lot of people used to think uh, updating course content is a hassle. If you recorded a video to change a script is very hard. Mm-hmm. But now if you produce the videos using these AI tools like Synthesia or Lumen5, you can easily change that and you don't have to go back to studio. So now it's more cost effective to actually manage these learning pieces. Mm. Um, So the last question I will ask is, do they want personalized learning? Do they want to have assessments? So then we can have a detailed understanding of this person's profile, what they actually need. And having this personalized learning plans that cater to their need. So there are plenty of solutions they can explore together. Then it's really a matter of, are they willing to try and, you know, stepping away from fear, actually putting their feet into this new uh, e-learning, this new AI era? Yeah. So we cited earlier uh, two of your clients, uh, Lee and Fung and The Gap, right? I would think those are pretty contrasting corporate cultures, Maybe not, mm-hmm. but so let's talk about you know, Lee and Fung. How adventuresome are they in trying these kinds of newer types of training? What what kind of training do they ask for? Yeah, so when I worked with them, it was a few years back, but they were already investing money in data science, analytics, and training global leaders on this topic. So because they're a global supply chain company, they have to connect brands, clothing brands in the West and then manufacturing companies in China. So they have to keep on really innovating themselves Mm. because now with internet and everything is 
the barrier is less and less. So the company keeps on re-innovating re themselves. And uh, besides Li and Feng, I can also see some software company. And in the past, they have these maybe so-called certification paths. And now it's more like, you know, they have all these technical documents with a knowledge base and having that, you know, short snippets. So it's more an interactive learning environment where people can click on this button and then a, a short tutorial pop up. Or if they go to the knowledge base and they're like, oh, what, how should I, you know, upload a new Excel file in this financial system? And then they have these answers and help articles for you. So now there's less of isolated systems. So more like integrated of doing and learning at the same time. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Instead of the old uh, way of doing it, when I was coming up through corporate, right, where they sent you off for a few days or a week to some training course, and 90% of what you learned, you weren't going to use, you know, within the next six months. So it all just kind of went away. Right. Yeah. It's very interesting while you were listening to it, but I'm not using it every day. So it was kind of useless. Um but I got away from yeah. the office for a week, which meant that I then had a week <laughs> worth of work to catch up on. And uh, yes, those are usually hell weeks because you had to kind of keep things going. You know, it wasn't like you were on vacation. So you had to take the class and work at the same time, trying not to fall behind on things. And then find that, right, most of what you just learned doesn't really apply to your day-to-day -day job. And uh, you end up forgetting it, which is why, right, I think, well, you have focused um, certainly on the more, say, micro, um, small, bite-sized pieces that can be consumed when you need them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I love. I like your point of you know taking people away from their work for a week, and based on the forgetting curve, like they will forget more than seventy percent of what they learned when they got back to work. Right. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't use it, you lose it right away. It doesn't last, won't stick. So, yeah. all right. Like a shift in uh, mindset of, you know, now with these new technologies is uh, traditional learning is they force you to go somewhere when they want you to. So your boss tells you, okay, now it's the training time and you do all these uh, two days or even eight hours. But yep. now with, these new technologies, just-in-time learning is like Uber. Like you call it when you need it, only for yeah. the distance you want to go. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Oh, that's a great analogy. Yeah, the last corporate yeah. I worked for sent me to Budapest for a week of you know, like orientation training thing. And, uh, and it was lovely to meet some of my coworkers who I never saw ever again. <laughs> but but I guess I made some friends in the in the company. But I think back on it, and I can't remember anything. I I, I know they put us through a whole bunch of classes, and um, yeah, I don't remember any of it. Not a, not a thing. That was like five years ago that I did that. Yeah. Week, other than having lunch with beers and stuff, I remember Budapest. I just don't remember any of the classes I took while I was there. So. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's common. It's not just you, Eric. Oh, I know. I know. No, it's uh, it's not highly mm -hmm. effective training when you do it that way. Anyway. All right. So what are the ingredients of a successful L&D program, 
for most companies? That's a good question. Well, you look at a few things. And so the first one is, you know, what's the business outcome this L&D is trying to achieve, right? And to define that problem and realize that training can help, or maybe training is not even the solution. You don't get half the right people. So identifying the problem we want to solve is the first key step. And the second one is, okay, you have the training program and how long does it take? How cost effective it is, right? Uh, can this company afford a six month development time? And by the time I, I work with a large company, they spend six months developing a program and by the time six months is done, they're ready to roll it out. Things have changed. So then you have to do, again, talking to business people, yeah. trying to visualize it in PowerPoint and then incorporating it into the e-learning modules, updating all the links, you know, resending all the links on the website. So <laughs> how to stay relevant and quick development is another key factor. Um, and the last one, but also... The funny one is how sometimes the data could be telling you the truth. You look at completion rates. Let's say even on MOOC, right, Coursera, like how high or how low is the completion rates? Mm. Like how can people stay engaged and complete the training? And after the training, how much do they remember? I mean, a lot of HRs look at completion rates and people may complete it because the boss tell them, okay, so I have to do it. But how do we switch that mindset to I want to do it? So more active learning. So that's that's another key point is how much content is actually helpful and people can apply it at their work. Mm. And I, I want to say um a lot of time I don't know how many companies track how effective their learning is or how helpful it is it's beyond just a figure oh we have trained 5000 people they have all click on it you know we covered a lot ai's potential and current limitations and micro lessons that are more like uber available when you need them and they only take you where you need to go in part two, we'll talk about gamification and how companies can leverage peer-to-peer -peer learning as part of their L&D strategy. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share. We have more awesome guests lined up and amazing stories of innovation in education that you don't want to miss. Please reach out if you have comments or suggestions. I'm Eric Byron. Thanks for listening to the Education Innovators Podcast, and thanks to all those education innovators out there, you are making a difference.